We often hear about a potential Armageddon, that antimicrobial resistance is going to, to be as big an issue as climate change. And that is a scenario. Mention the clap in a social setting, you probably get a nervous giggle. But catching gonorrhea and having no way to get rid of it is no laughing matter. We're in the current situation where resistance to ceftriaxone has reached 5% globally. In certain parts of the Far East, it's 25 to 30%. But the cupboard's bare. There is, there is no new drug. Welcome to our podcast about biotechnology breakthroughs, the DNA of all living things, and the DNA of scientists, companies, and patients who make miracles happen. I'm Jim Greenwood, and you're listening to I Am Bio. Today, we're broadcasting from San Francisco at the Bio Investor Forum, the city that put the entrepreneurial movement on the map. The history of mankind has largely been a battle against virtually invisible microbes, bacteria, and viruses. For most of that history, humans didn't even know that they existed. In the last century, we've made spectacular progress in creating antimicrobials to seek out and kill these invaders. But our very success has created a new challenge. The bacteria have evolved to become resistant. Worldwide, there are 98 million new cases of gonorrhea each year, including almost 600,000 here in the United States. We've used everything in our arsenal to defeat this dangerous STI, but now we're down to the last arrow. After that, our quiver is empty. And then what? Our next guest has traveled from across the pond to make his case directly to funders here at the Bio Investor Forum. Is it possible to raise the vast sums of capital required to defeat antibiotic-resistant superbugs? It's time to take a deeper dive. Well, joining us now all the way from Oxford in the United Kingdom is Glenn Edwards. Fortunately, scientists like Edwards and his company Summit are coming to our rescue. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. No new classes of antibiotics have been approved for 15 years, and resistance is building up awfully fast to many of these older drugs. Your company has high ambitions and a specific plan to change that. Before we get into what you're going to do about it, let's talk about the scope of the antibiotic problem globally right now. It's a real issue. Uh, there's been a real lack of innovation. And while we've been sleeping, the bugs have not. They evolve. They evolve slowly, but they evolve continuously. And we're starting to see resistance building up to the current antibiotics. And we need to find new ones. We need to find new ways of attacking these bugs. If we don't do that, it's going to be a major problem for mankind. Simple operations won't be possible. A toothache will turn into a, a major incident. Uh, childbirth will become uh, more difficult. It's going to become a real problem. The good news is, as in other areas, there's a huge amount of innovation going on in the universities, in the smaller companies, and even in the bigger companies. So this is not a problem we need be fearful of if we do something about it to encourage that innovation. So you've put a lot of that into the future. It's going to be yeah. problematic here. Is it taking its toll in human life right now? It is. It is. So C. difficile is one of the things that uh, we're working on, and there are 29,000 deaths every year in the United States from C. difficile infection. Wow. And, and people are contracting that. How? 
what is a, tends to be a hospital-acquired infection. The, the organism is found throughout the environment, so you, you can't escape uh, being exposed to it. And if you're normal and healthy, there's not going to be a problem. You'll ingest the spores and they'll pass straight through you. But interestingly, if you've had an antibiotic treatment for something else, then that disturbs all the good bacteria that are in your gut. And those good bacteria will be what normally fends off C. difficile infection. And so if they've been damaged by a prior antibiotic treatment, then that's an environment that when you ingest the spores, they can grow and uh, grow fast, produce toxins. And that's when you get the infection. Yeah. Well, I had exactly that experience. I was in India several years ago and I got some kind of a bug um, it's hard not to in India, frankly. Um, I took Tamiflu, which was spectacular in knocking down whatever that bug was that was inhabiting my body. But apparently it killed the bad guys and many of the good guys and left only the C. diff there. And then the C. diff did a job on me and it was pretty miserable. Yes, I've, I've had uh, heard people who've said uh, they'd had open heart surgery and then after that had uh, C. diff infection. And if they had the choice, they'd have the open heart surgery again rather than the C. diff. Yeah, uh, yeah. and um, I've also been told maybe I shouldn't be going back to India too often because it, it, second time around can be worse. It can. Um, if not fatal. Uh, it, that's that's absolutely true. And the current treatments for a C. difficile infection, uh, uh, mainly a drug called uh, vancomycin, is actually pretty effective at curing uh, the initial infection. But it is also quite a broad spectrum agent. And so it further damages the microbiome. So one of the really um, problem areas that you have in C. difficile is after the initial cure, you can get the disease back very quickly. So currently, in the United States, between 25 and 30% of people who get that initial cure get it again, and they get it really quickly within a month. Uh, and of course, it's a very debilitating disease, and they, people have not recovered when they get it the second time. And so the effects are much worse. The costs of treating them are a lot higher. And it's something you want to avoid at all costs. And people are increasingly reluctant to go into the hospital at all. And that's not entirely irrational. That's true. It's a, the, there's a, a saying that the worst place to be when you're sick is in hospital. Yeah. But uh, but obviously, that's uh, a, a, an oversimplification. And uh, you know we, we need to get these people uh, cured and out as fast as we can. So your company, Summit, has drugs in development to deal with the C. diff problem and the gonorrhea superbug. Correct. So let's take them on one at a time. Why is C. diff so dangerous and difficult to treat? Well, it's, it's difficult to treat because of the widespread use of these antibiotics. The thing that keeps a, a person from getting the infection is having this diverse group of organisms in the gut, the so-called... Uh, uh, microbiome. And they, those fend off not just C. diff, but a whole host of other infections. Um, and if you have a nasty infection, you're given a, a, a broad spectrum antibiotic, which cures that infection. The side effect is, is it damages the good guys in, in the gut as well. Um, and then you're at risk of getting another infection, a different infection. And C. difficile is particularly pernicious in that respect. It, 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 it can really take over the gut uh, and uh, create a huge problem. So what's unique about your new drug? Well, what's uh, unique about our drug is two things. The first is it's a brand new mechanism of action. Tell people what a mechanism of action means, because maybe not everyone understands Well, yes. Yeah, so, so diseases, and particularly bacterial uh, uh, diseases, what you're looking for is a weak point in the, uh, in the organism that you can uh, attack. Uh, 
And uh, so we develop drugs, special chemicals that, that will hit that weak point, but won't affect the, all the rest of the cells uh, in the body. And over the period from Fleming's first uh, discovery of, of penicillin through to the end of the last century, we kept regularly finding new weak points in, in the bacteria and developing new drugs against those weak points. And then we ran out of finding these, uh, these weak points. Uh, but now, with uh, modern science, with the, the modern ways of understanding the genome of the bacteria, in the same way we have the Human Genome Project, we have the Bacterial Genome Project, it's opened up uh, the opportunity to find new targets. And that's what we at Summit do. We find new targets in the bacteria that... Uh, uh, we can attack. And of course, because these are brand new antibiotics, the bugs haven't seen them before, so we completely get round current resistance. So it's a really exciting uh, approach. So, you know, I've been in the biotechnology field for almost 15 years now, and I always find it a little bit interesting to try to explain the science to people. People know what it looks like when a rocket takes off, but they have no idea what it actually looks like when an antimicrobial goes into their body and attacks these bacteria. So can you sort of paint a visual picture for us, if you would, of, is here's the bacteria floating through my system and in comes the antimicrobial. And as, as you've said, you, they have targets of weakness. So Draw us a picture. What exactly happens? Well, I'll do it for the, the um, C. difficile product we have. It's a drug called ridinilazole. So you take a small uh, tablet, it goes through. Now the infection is taking place in the lower bowel, in the colon. Um, and uh, the, the colon is coated with the C. difficile bacteria. They're eating the food that you've uh, given them uh, and multiplying and uh, producing uh, toxins. The drug then gets uh, into the colon and it starts getting into, uh, into the bacteria and it attacks a particular weak point in the, the, the C. difficile that stops them uh, dividing. Ah. And so what happens, they try and divide and they just get longer and longer and don't bud off. And when they get to about four or five times the, the normal length of a, a traditional C. difficile, they die. So we have a very potent way of, of, of killing the C. diff. What's really nice about this target, though, is it's unique to C. difficile and some very closely related organisms. So the ridinilzole will get into the good guys in, in your, uh, your colon. It'll get into uh, various other uh, good bacteria, the bifidobacteria and things like that, that that you need. But they don't have that weak point. So the drug just has no effect on those at all. And so the good bacteria just stay and grow and multiply and carry on doing good things in your gut, whereas the, the, the bad guys, the C. difficile, uh, are all killed. That's quite brilliant. So another drug in Summit's portfolio seeks to overcome the gonorrhea superbug. Now, the thought of getting incurable gonorrhea is pretty terrifying. There was a very high-profile case in the UK last year of this nightmare scenario coming true. Uh, what happened? A young man went on vacation to the Far East. I believe it was Thailand. Um, and actually, in, in some parts of the Far East, the, the rates of uh, multiply resistant gonorrhea are up to 25 to 30 percent. Um, um, enjoyed himself and came back with this gonorrhea and turned up at the sexually transmitted disease clinic expecting to uh, be cured. And they expected to cure him. They gave him the standard uh, treatment. It didn't work. Uh, had no effect whatsoever. Uh, one of the really interesting things about the gonorrhea organism is it seems to have a memory. So 
30, 40 years ago, we treated with, uh, with penicillin and uh, then they got resistance to that and we tried various other things. The World Health Organization is very concerned about these and so for many years they've been monitoring resistance and they make a recommendation which is a, adopted all around the world, use this antibiotic, so everybody switches to that and then resistance globally gets to about 5% and the World Health Organization says no change to this, uh, this next one. Um, and we're in the current situation where resistance to ceftriaxone has reached 5% globally, and in certain parts of the Far East, as I've said, is 25 to 30%. But the cupboard's bare. There is, there is no mm-hmm. new drug. And because uh, uh, gonorrhea has this memory, if you go back and use the, uh, the drugs from many years ago, it still has resistance. Uh, and so we have a real problem. We, we have drugs like this, uh, or um, bugs like this patient had, and we have nothing to treat them with. In the end, fortunately, uh, they found a really very old uh, antibiotic and uh, this patient was put on treatment for 14 days of intravenous uh, antibiotics and we managed to, to shake it, but it's not It could something, have been deadly. It could have been deadly, it mm-hmm. could have been uh, really serious. So with, with both HIV, AIDS and polio, widespread panic about contagion really galvanized the public. And as a result, public and private investment poured into efforts to find treatments and vaccines. But this crisis has been pretty different. In fact, one life sciences company spent upwards of a billion dollars to commercialize a new therapy to fight antimicrobial resistance. But then the drug landed with a thud. It had virtually no sales in its first year, and the company went under. So why did that happen? And how can your company avoid that fate? I think there are two parts to that, and I'll just just uh, take them separately. So the the first one is there's been a huge emphasis on stewardship because of the concerns of exposing people to suboptimal doses. So every hospital in the developed world has got a stewardship committee. They've morphed a little bit into let's use the oldest, cheapest product first. And that's not helpful for for uh, for innovation. And so there's do insurance company coverage. Does that affect that as well? Uh, it does, uh, mm-hmm. and the DRGs affect that. So that if the hospital gets a fixed diagnostic payment. related group, so what happens is, I'll, I'll, for the layperson, I'll try to explain this: that a lot of hospitals are reimbursed for uh, particular diseases or particularly reasons that uh, patients come to a hospital, and they get paid in a bundle. They get paid X number of dollars for treating that patient. And so it then becomes in the hospital's interest to use the least expensive treatments and medicines and not necessarily, in every case, the most effective. Correct. And that, that can put a break on innovation because it disincentivizes the institution from tr- using the most recent best product. Right. Now, the second uh, uh, area is actually back on the industry's lap. And you said that we'd not had new mechanism antibiotics for some time. We really need to see innovative products. We need to see products that are a big step forward. So I think uh, industry's role in this is to be innovative, to do the things we're really good at and to do major breakthroughs. Uh, So... And if you do that, I think even in the current climate, you will be commercially successful. Uh, So we need to see new mechanism antibiotics that are a big step forward. We need to develop them for those indications 
where the current drugs aren't working. If, if the current treatment is working 95% of the time, there's not necessarily a need to have a new version of something for that. But if mm-hmm. the current treatments, like in C. difficile, are only working uh, two-thirds of the time, then that's a big innovation gap. There's a lot of patients that need better treatment. So, And you're confident that your product is going to meet that innovation test. And, and actually... If it does, uh, it would seem to me that the hospital will say it's no longer in our economic interest to use the cheapest one because uh, if that patient lingers in the hospital for days under a a DRG reimbursement system, they're not going to get paid more and they're going to lose money. Jim, you've hit the nail right on the head there because there's a virtuous circle here that if we're innovative and we produce significant patient benefit, with antibiotics in particular, there's a very direct and real and proximate cost saving. If you can treat the patient more quickly so there's less time in the hospital, then there's a saving there. If you can stop them having a recurrence, then there's a huge saving there. So there's the opportunity to get a fair pricing and fair reward for the innovation company and yet still save the healthcare system large amounts because you're solving a real medical problem which has real cost to it. So we're saving lives and we're saving money. Well, government acts as the primary purchaser for things like the anthrax uh, vaccine and bioterrorism countermeasures. And that's because private citizens aren't going to spend the money to keep these kind of medicines in their medicine cabinet in the event of a deadly attack. That's just not how we behave. As a society, we don't need it until we really need it, and then we need it an awful lot of it. So what's the government's proper role in fighting antibiotic resistance? Is it about changing investment incentives or the government acting as a purchaser or both? Now, the best long-term solution is to have a vibrant market that rewards innovation. And so we need to take steps to ensure that companies that innovate and satisfy patient needs do get uh, an adequate reward for that. Uh, But there are, in the short term, steps that governments can make to ensure that we've got a a healthy environment for that. And so uh, uh, purchasing new drugs could be part of that, uh, ensuring that the payment systems uh, are there that reward uh, innovative new drugs. So there are a number of things. And in particular, we've got the Disarm Act that's uh, going through with bipartisan support at the moment. And that would be a very useful step to rewarding innovation. And it's focused only on those drugs that are uh, have, have uh, are so-called qualified infectious disease status. So these are things where they're innovative, where there's a need and where we really need to see these things coming through. We happen to be in a time uh, in history where the science is galloping along and, and, and doing miraculous things in many ways, not just in the ways we're talking about with antimicrobials, but gene therapy and cell therapy and immunotherapy and CRISPR and so forth. And yet we're facing these tough political headwinds because people have time trouble financially accessing some of these, largely because they have insurance that has large out-of-pocket costs. Um, What people don't understand when they are critical of pricing and so forth is that nine times out of 10, companies like yours and projects like yours fail. Uh, We just talked about one a little while ago. They spent a billion dollars and then went out of business. And and the politicians and a lot of the media don't take that into account a lot of times. But you have to rely upon the fact that that you have to attract investors. And those investors know that you have pretty good, more than even chance of failing at the end of the day. 
Um, and then you've got to be able to recover. If you, when you do succeed, you've got to be able to reimburse well enough to recover that so that we continue to attract investment. And that means that the payers have to be willing to pay. The government has to be willing to pay and the private insurers have to be willing to pay or this whole you know, wonderful science kind of comes to a grinding halt. I think it's a good example. I think one of the reasons why uh, the large pharmaceutical companies have pulled out of antibiotic research has been the pricing has been so low. And so I think you have to be really careful when you look at the cutting the, the reimbursement of innovative drugs because it will cut off the innovation. And we've seen that happen in antibiotics. Right. And the last thing you want to say to a very sick or dying patient is, we were close to getting something that would have saved you, but the uh, politicians messed up the policy and uh, didn't happen. And these things have a long burn. So uh, we've had 25 years since uh, the last mechanism of action antibiotic was discovered, 15 years since it got to market. And we need a continuous stream of them because if our uh, drugs uh, get to market, they will do a great job for a while, but the bugs will start to evolve and we'll start to see resistance to those. So, so we need a long-term plan that ensures that we have a, a stream of new products so that we can ensure that people can live long and healthy lives, not bothered by uh, the infections that plagued the lives of people in the, in the 1800s and the 1900s. We, we need to not go back to that well, time. It seems to me that's part of your company's strategy because you're taking a novel approach to overcoming antimicrobial resistance, but you're not just working on an antibio uh, antibiotics in isolation. You're perfecting a new generation platform that could deliver many new antibiotics. Tell that's us about true. that. That's true. I, I, so with the new science that, that's coming on, it's allowed us and others, we're not the only people that, that are doing this, but, but we're in the forefront of it, to identify new targets. So we talked about gonorrhea, and we have a, a program with a, a new target and, uh, and some new antibiotics against that target. But we already have a second target behind that in reserve, so that if the first one gets to market and is successful and then resistance builds up to that, then we'll have another one behind. And I don't want to just focus on Summit. There's some really innovative uh, uh, technologies around in a whole host of, of companies, many of them uh, uh, here on the West Coast, actually. Uh, but what these companies need is they need to know that if they are successful in developing these products, that their investors will get a return and the products will get used. So we often hear about a potential Armageddon, that antimicrobial resistance is going to, to be as big an issue as climate change. And that is a scenario. But we have the tools to make sure that doesn't happen if we get the support from government, the support from payers uh, to reward the innovation that's happening here today. So you've had a chance this week to take the pulse of the investor community that's gathered here in San Francisco on whether they want to invest in appro new approaches to antibiotics. What's the reaction been like? Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's mixed. Uh, and the reason it's mixed is that uh, many of these people have invested in the companies that uh, we've been talking about, uh, uh, including the, the billion dollars that, that went into the company that, that uh, then uh, didn't make it. And so they're torn because we can all see that the world really needs new antibiotics. Society really needs new uh, antibiotics, but they've been burnt by investing in companies that have, uh, have lost them a, a great deal of money. Now, there are a few long-term 
committed investors, and we have some in, in our company. Uh, but if society is going to benefit from a raft of new products, and we really need this raft of new products, then we need a climate that will encourage investors to put money into these companies. The, the money is there. It's currently going into gene therapy or immuno-oncology or lots of other exciting things. So there's no shortage of the capital. But actually, the antibiotic companies are being starved of that capital because investors are concerned that they will not get a, a reward for success. And when we hear the politicians and presidential candidates uh, uh, condemning the pharmaceutical industry, um, little do they know that what, in most cases, the, the, the innovation is occurring at small companies like yours. It is. And if they poison the environment policy-wise, then those investors are going to be doubly frightened because not only do they have to worry about whether you're going to be successful, but whether the policy environment will be such that they could never recover their investment yeah. given it, the huge risk that they it's take. It's really important that investors make a, a return for the successful products because they also invest in, in uh, projects and companies that don't make it and they need to ensure that for those successful ones that covers the, the, the failures that they have on the way. Well, Glenn, this has been a fascinating discussion. Companies like yours are really a bulwark against what is really a frightening future. So, But you give us hope that we can rise to meet this urgent challenge. So good luck, much success as you lead this vital effort. Thank you, Jim. Antibiotic-resistant microbes kill as many as 160,000 Americans every year. That's four times the number of people killed in car crashes. Some health analysts say that without a sense of urgency equal to the challenge, superbugs could kill up to 10 million people a year worldwide by 2050. That number should be a terrifying wake-up call for our elected officials. We need Congress to step up. Right now, there is bipartisan legislation in both chambers of Congress called the Disarm Act. It would change how Medicare reimburses hospitals for antibiotics. It would change the bundled incentives so hospitals can appropriately deploy new antibiotics for conditions they're tailored to treat. This would not only be good for patients, it would also be good for biotech companies seeking to reassure investors that next-generation antibiotics are a safe bet and an urgent one. The Disarm Act would also require hospitals to establish antibiotic stewardship programs that address overprescribing and better track that the right medicines are reaching the right patients. Finally, our lawmakers should also look at market entry rewards for newly approved antibiotics. This will generate more R&D so we stay a step ahead of the superbugs. Like Glenn Edwards says, this is solvable. We need our institutions to act now before a preventable problem becomes a global calamity. Well, that's all for today. Don't forget to rate us on your podcast player of choice and subscribe and share with your friends. And tune in to our next episode where we'll focus on a breakthrough in aviation biofuels with potential to make a big dent in the climate change problem. Instead of flight shaming, what if we could power our planes using new carbon-neutral technologies made from waste and agricultural feedstocks? Biofuels take flight on the next I am bio.